Turn together now to 1 Peter and chapter number 4, and reading at verse 9. 1 Peter 4 and at verse number 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We continue to reflect on this section of chapter 4 in the first letter of Peter, and we Notice last week the way in which Peter, in uh, coming to this stage in the letter, shifted his focus from uh, addressing them and reminding them how they should relate to the world around them, that he shifted their focus to think about the fact that their strength arose from uh, how they lived their lives as the Christian community uh, around them. And we saw the way in which everything that Peter is saying to them arises out of the words of verse number 7 where he speaks of being self-controlled and being sober-minded. They were to be able to understand the circumstances in which they lived their lives and with clarity of mind and thought they were able to take appropriate action. And that was focused especially in verse number 8 on loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And so we saw from these two verses the order of life in the Christian community. And when we do look at the section, we can see that the section is framed by these words, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded, and also framed at the end by, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So there is a responsibility for the people of God, and that responsibility is to be placed in the context of doing everything to the glory of God, and having spoken to them about the need to love one another, I want today to, to look at the order of life in the Christian community, part number two, and to see what we can learn from verses 9 through to verse 11. One is first of all to see that we have in the passage family hospitality. And I want to see that first of all as a love of showing mercy. Hospitality by its very nature in, in the Greek language is a word that speaks to us of loving the stranger. We have love of friendship, those whom we know, we live with those around us and we love them. But there is also the need to love strangers. And in the world in which Peter was writing, there was a real sense in which there were tensions between state strangers. The tensions were there because of different cultures, of different practices, of different religions, of different ways of living. There were tensions, and because of these tensions, cultures stayed apart, 
and didn't overlap and didn't share anything that they had within their own cultures and communities. There was no crossover. There was no sharing because of the tensions that arose from their different cultures. And the only way to overcome these tensions and to break down these barriers was, in fact, to show friendship. And if we can think of two completely different and opposing cultures and tensions between them, it's a big step for one person out of that culture to begin to show friendship to someone from the opposite culture. But the way to overcome the tension between different groups was to show friendship, to bring people out from where they were, to grant them fellowship and sharing, to grant them especially fellowship in their homes and fellowship around their tables, where they were to have protection. And Peter wants this hearers to recognize what's happening in the culture around them and to use that very same concept and to bring it into work within the Christian community so that the people of God, when they see strangers, they're not going to backtrack from them because there are tensions because of different cultures and different beliefs. On the other hand, they are to be self-controlled, they are to be sober-minded, and they are to show hospitality to one another. Whoever belongs to the opposite group, they are to show hospitality to them and give hospitality to them in their homes. And they are to do that with complete sincerity. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. They're not going to show hospitality and and mutter under their breath words which uh, state that that this is not right and they find no satisfaction in doing so, that they're doing it just because they're, they're being asked to do so by Peter. They are to do so with sincerity. Their hearts are going to be completely in what they are doing. And the, the opposite of, of, of grumbling is, in fact, you do things that are pleasing to God. They find pleasure in them themselves because these things are pleasing to God and therefore they will show hospitality because they see that God is pleased in it. And when we look at the gospel itself and we read the, the story of the, of the Good Samaritan, the person who comes to, to the Lord Jesus. What good work will I do? And, and Jesus reminds him that, that he is to love the Lord as God with all his heart, soul, strength and mind and his neighbor as himself. And he tries to outsmart the Lord Jesus. That who is my neighbor? So he tells him the parable of, of the Good Samaritan. And at the end of it, Which of these three proved to be a neighbor to the one who fell among thieves? The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus himself, of course, is is the very one who does show mercy and, and who is the good neighbor. And so we have at the very essence of the gospel, 
the way in which we were required to show hospitality because the gospel is one of mercy and the gospel is one of favor. And when we think of, of the gospel itself and showing hospitality in giving to other people and thinking of Jesus in his mercy giving us hospitality, and that's where, where everything comes together in the gospel, that in our, in our giving to others, that there we discover that there Jesus is giving himself to us in return. And so the hospitality is something that, that brings us to, to the very center and to the very core of the gospel itself. And we could see in the light of what, what Peter is saying that the gospel without hospitality is not the full gospel that Peter requires his, his readers, his hearers to, to give obedience to and to practice. The picture in the community in which they live has to be one which includes gospel and hospitality so that whoever comes in within the boundary of the community that they are, are welcomed and felt to be secure and safe because of the mercy and the grace of the gospel that is overflowing and reaching out to them. But there is a more important aspect to the whole call to show hospitality. And it is that the Christian community is designed to function with hospitality. It is that when we follow the mission of God in the Bible and the missionary work of the church, we see the way in which hospitality is key to the furtherance of the work of the gospel. An example from the Old Testament is when God is coming to speak to Abraham in Genesis number 18, and the Lord appears to him, and he appears to him through three men that he sees standing up beside the door. As soon as he sees the three men, he invites the men in, he brings them a little water to wash their feet, he goes to prepare for them a morsel of bread that they might be refreshed. He is showing hospitality. And in that moment of, of showing hospitality, we read that the Lord said to him, I will surely return to you. And he gave the promise with regard to Sarah. And that's why the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 13 speaks about those who entertain strangers and they entertain angels unawares. It was at the very center of the way in which God made his purposes known to Abraham in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament in the life of Jesus himself. In Luke chapter 7, he goes to the house of one of the Pharisees who had asked him to come and eat. The Pharisee understood the Old Testament. He understood the practice of hospitality in the kingdom of God. And so he invites Jesus to come in and to have something to eat. And Jesus goes in and he sits at the table. And as they do so, a woman of the city came in who was a sinner. And we know the way in which she anointed the feet of the Lord Jesus and the way in which she showed her love to him. It was an open home. 
There was hospitality for Jesus, but also hospitality for those who were on the street. And at the end of that story, Jesus finds fault with the Pharisee because I entered your house, you gave me no water to wash my feet. You gave me no kiss and she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. She showed him what was missing from the way in which he gave hospitality. It wasn't sincere, it wasn't thorough, it wasn't right through. But but when we read the story, we see the way in which it's Jesus that comes to teach through that moment of, of hospitality. And for the good of the gospel, the gospel is preached to this Pharisee through the encounter with this woman. And so hospitality is key to the success of the work of the gospel. And we, we see Paul going to Philippi. And we see him going to the riverside where, where the prayer was made where, and prayer was practiced. And there they met with Lydia. And the Lord opened her heart to what, Peter, to what Paul was saying. And when Paul, when they had finished preaching the gospel, she exhorted them to come with them. And they might, she might show hospitality to them. And they went, and they went to her home with her. And, and we see Jesus in, in the gospel reminding those disciples whom he is sending out to look for someone who will welcome them and to stay there while they are carrying on their mission and to move on to the next place and, and to find the same. There were no hotels to check into. There were no resorts where they could go and check in and carry out their ministry. They were dependent upon the hospitality of the people of God for the missionary work of the gospel to proceed and to progress. And as surely as Peter wants them to to have this practice of hospitality for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the building of the church and the, the advancement of the kingdom of God, so surely for ourselves today. God wants us to be hospitable. He wants us to be hospitable to show mercy. He wants us to be hospitable for the sake of the gospel. And many a story has been told about hospitality being given to strangers. And just like we referred to in Hebrews 13, it was a time as if it were spent with the angels of God because God made it a blessing. And reading on in Matthew chapter 25 and and the, the following parable of the judgment and Jesus says to those who are lost, I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. That's how high it goes in God's estimation that hospitality becomes a matter of judgment. And when we do embrace and we see the people of God into our homes to show hospitality, we are showing hospitality to the Lord Jesus himself. That's the way that he sees it. 
and as showing it goes to the judgment seat, as not showing it goes to the judgment seat. It is crucial for the work of the gospel. It is crucial in the spirit of the gospel. And it is crucial in the practice of the gospel in the life of the Christian community. There is family hospitality. Let's ensure that we are driven by the love of God and the love of Jesus Christ, and to have clear thinking and to be self-controlled, let's ensure that the door is open for the stranger. For the stranger might be the very person that is going to become, by the grace of God, uh, a, a member of God's own family, or perhaps a messenger that comes with a message from God to lift our hearts in a way that we did not expect. Family hospitality. It's a strength and it gives strength to the Christian community. Secondly, we want to see family housekeeping. And that might seem rather strange, but we'll get to it. Family housekeeping. And the housekeeping arises from the way in which God has given to everyone a gift. And so often when we begin to, to speak about serving in the Church of Christ, we get the response that I have no gifts, I have nothing to offer. And in actual fact, the Word of God tells us that that is not the case. In verse number 10, as each has received a gift, the emphasis on each, so that no person in the exile uh, to which Peter is is writing, none of them can say they haven't received a gift. The gift is from the grace of God, by the grace of God. It is the grace of God in their hearts. And so today, for, for all of ourselves, not one of us can say that God hasn't given us a gift. That would be a denial of what his word says, and it would state that there is something missing in the grace with which God and Christ saves. But in actual fact, that cannot be the case. So all of us, the starting point is, each one has received a gift. And because each one has received that gift, they are to serve one another. They are to be the household servants. And in Acts chapter 6, there was that sense of, of the overburden on the apostles and they, they appointed deacons so that uh, the apostles were free to focus on the word and they appointed deacons to serve tables. It's the same idea, to, to serve one another in the gospel. Jesus himself raises the stakes in, in Mark chapter 10 where he is having that discussion with them about serving and where he reminds them that the greatest person is the one who does the serving and who reminds them then with regard to himself that he did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Serving one another. The 
way in which God has designed his own church is such that the well-being of his church is dependent upon each individual person using their gifts. We noticed with regard to the jigsaw puzzle, it's even just having one piece missing, it's frustrating. It spoils the picture. But we're reminded here that all the parts are there. And perhaps there are two things we need to be doing. We need to help each other find the parts and we need to realize that we are one of these parts ourselves. Uh, And once we realize our twofold responsibility in that sense, then then we will discover that that the way God has worked will will gel the people of God together, will gel the the Christian community together, uh, and that then will cause the Christian community to come to, to function in the way in which God has designed it so to do. And a reluctance to use our gifts or a denial of the existence of the gifts in itself creates an obstruction to the functioning of the church of Christ wherever it is placed. And so today we are called upon to identify the gift that God has given to us or the gifts he has given to us to encourage one another in in doing so and then to work together in all of these gifts coming together for the building up of the people of God. And that sense of serving one another brings us to the whole idea of family housekeeping. As good stewards of God's varied grace. The steward is the one who is in charge of the house. He is the housekeeper. He is the administrator of the goods of the householder. That the steward has a great responsibility to ensure that there is distribution of the riches of the householder and so to ensure that in the house itself that each one is given their portion of food at the appropriate time. And we see Jesus saying that in Luke chapter 12. That's what the, householder, what the, what the steward does on behalf of the householder. He takes the goods of the householder and he shares them out at the appropriate time. And Peter is saying here that, that they are just like that administrator. They are good stewards of, the, of God's varied grace, of the variety of gifts that are among the people of God. They have a household responsibility, a family responsibility, to use the riches that God has given to them for the benefit of, of the whole of the family of God and as called upon to do to ensure that the gifts are served in the kingdom and in in the community for the good of the family and for the good of the household of God. And the writer of the Hebrews speaks about the way in which Moses was faithful as a a 
wise manager over God's house. And then goes to, to compare Jesus, who is counted worthy of more honor and glory, because he is the builder of the house. But Moses was a great example of, of what the administrator does, receiving from God, distributing to the people of God, for the good of the whole of the people of God. And so now, each one, with the gifts that God has given to them, they're asked to serve one another. And that's the, the, the challenging thing, to, to get to that place. The disciples were discussing which of them would be the greatest and which of them should have the highest position in the kingdom of God. They failed to realize it doesn't work like that. And the great challenge in, in us being good at, at the family housekeeping is that the pride of our own hearts stands in the way of our serving and creates a barrier to the advancement and the progress of, of the work of, of the gospel and of God's kingdom. And so that instead of making up the whole picture and the whole mix of the variety of gifts, instead of doing that, withholding with the result that we withhold blessing from ourselves and we can hold back the very work of God's kingdom. Family housekeeping. Family hospitality. And in closing, there is the family handbook. What do we need to do all of this serving? What do we need to do in using the gifts that God has given to us. In verse number 11, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. And Peter is, is drawing their attention right back to the fact that in everything that he wants them to do, it's derived from God, it originates in God, and it's done by the strength of God and through the word of God. And in all of the gifts, he uses two examples to drive home that point. And it's the point that we need to understand to cap everything that has been said, that we do so in the light of God's word and in accordance with the strength that God gives. The one who speaks as the one who speaks the oracles of God. God committed the oracles of God to the Jews in the Old Testament. Moses received the oracles, and in receiving them, they were distributed to the people. He spoke to the people. The, the oracles are the word of God, the commands of God, the, the law of God, the covenant of God, is the way in which God spoke to his people in his covenant and speaks to the world through the very same word of God, through his covenant grace and through his covenant love. They are the oracles of God, the sacred word of God, breathed out by God, sufficient in all that they are, so that in all of our speaking, in our conversation, in showing hospitality and serving one another, our speaking is speaking the oracles of God. We are bound 
to speak the gospel. We are bound to speak the word of God and every way in which it touches upon life. We are bound to do so. And because we are speaking the oracles of God, our hearers are bound to receive what we say as the the words indeed are the oracles of God. And it's recognizing in, in, in the speaking and in the hearing that it is the authority of God that comes through the speaker and that comes through the that comes behind the words of the speaker, and therefore the response of obedience to, to the word of God is called upon by God Himself. And going beyond our hospitality to our witnessing for the Lord Jesus that we do indeed ensure that our words are the words of God, that what we say is faithful to the word of God, and that in no way or in no wise are we going to change what the word of God means in order to to make life easy for ourselves or, or to make a difficult situation easy. It's faithfulness to the oracles of God. And we see Peter himself being that faithful person. We see Paul being that faithful person right down through their ministry. And serving is to be carried out in the strength that God supplies. My God, says Paul, shall supply all of your needs from his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And strength and weakness are a strange mix in the life of the child of God. Paul says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. It doesn't make sense, but it does make sense for the person who has faith, who comes to trust in the Lord Jesus, and who comes in all of their weakness to put their trust in the Lord Jesus and in throwing themselves on on the promises of God in Christ Jesus, that their strength is discovered. I will rather glory in my weakness, says Paul, and glory in my suffering, so that the power of God may rest upon me. And from that, the, the, the lesson really is that we get strength in the using of our gifts, and we don't get strength before we use them. They are given to us to use for serving one another, and we get the strength as we use them. And it is so easy for us to say we don't have the strength, so we cannot serve, so we, we end up doing nothing, whereas we're denying ourselves the moment of God's strength that in every step of obedience that God does give us strength to serve one another, to, to serve him, to, to show the hospitality, to love one another earnestly, we derive all our strength from him. And so today let's realize the importance of loving one another for the good of the, the Christian community, that our strength comes from what we are within ourselves. Let's realize the importance of the family hospitality, of the family housekeeping, that we have a responsibility in the family of God. And of course we have the handbook, the word of God, that tells us what God is saying and how we are to do everything that God requires us to do. May God bless his word to us. Let us pray. Gracious God, we bow before you and we are thankful to you that 
all the things that we find difficult are the things uh, for which you have promised to give us strength. And we are thankful that, that is true in the moment of believing that we cannot believe ourselves, but you give grace to us to do so. We are thankful also that this is the case every step that we take on the journey of faith, that God is a refuge and our strength, that those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And help us, O Lord, to wait upon you, to wait for you, to trust in you, and to walk by your strength day by day, and do the things that you have called us to do, that we may contribute, each one personally and individually, to the work of your kingdom and to the well-being of your church here in our own community and in the wider world in which we live. So bless your word and hear us, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Closing Psalm is Psalm number 146 and sing Psalms on page 191, 146 at verse number 6 on page 191. He who made the earth and heaven and the seas with all their store, he who keeps his every promise, who is faithful evermore. From verse 6 to the end of the psalm to God's praise. He who made the earth and heaven and the seas with all their shore, he who keeps his every promise. Stand for the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.